NPR.org, April 7, 2014, 1.42 p.m. East Coast time, heard on fresh air. If Jesus never called himself God, how did he become one, is the question. When Bart Ehrman was a young evangelical Christian, he wanted to know how God became a man. But now, as agnostic and historian of early Christianity, he wants to know how a man became God. When and why did Jesus' followers start saying Jesus as God in quotations? And what did they mean by that? His new book is called How Jesus Became God, The Exaltation of a Jewish Preacher from Galilee. In this book, I actually do not take a stand on either the question of whether Jesus was God or whether he was actually raised from the dead. Ehrman tells Fresh Air's Terry Gross. I leave open both questions because those are theological questions based on religious beliefs. I'm writing the book as a historian. I love what he just said, and when it comes to theological questions, all theological questions, I leave all those theological questions open, because the answer is, I don't know, but I'm open, that's my answer. Again, when it comes to all theological questions, all theological concerns, all theological inquiries, my answers are, I don't know, and I'm open. Ehrman is the author of several books about early Christianity, including misquoting Jesus and Jesus, and Jesus Interrupted. Interview highlights. On a major difference between the first three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and the last Gospel, John, during his lifetime, Jesus himself didn't call himself God and didn't consider himself God, and none of his disciples had any inkling at all that he was God. You do find Jesus calling himself God in the Gospel of John or the last Gospel. Jesus says things like, Before Abraham was, I am, and I and the Father are one, and if you see me, you've seen the Father. These are all statements you find only in the Gospel of John. And that's striking because we have earlier Gospels and we have the writings of Paul, and none of them is there any indication that Jesus said such things. I think it's completely implausible that Matthew, Mark, and Luke would not mention that Jesus called himself God, if that's what he was declaring about himself. That would be a rather important point to make. This is not an unusual view among scholars. It's simply the view that the Gospel of John is providing a theological understanding of Jesus that is not what was historically accurate. Emperor on how Roman emperors were called God. Right at the same time, the Christians were calling 
Jesus God is exactly when Romans started calling their emperors God. So these Christians were not doing this in a vacuum. They were actually doing it in a context. I don't think this could be an accident that this is a point at which the emperors have been called God. So by calling Jesus God, in fact, it was a competition between your God, the emperor, and our God, Jesus. When Constantine the emperor then converted to Christianity, it changed everything because now rather than the emperor being God, the emperor was the worshiper of the God, Jesus. That was quite a forceful change, and one could argue that it changed the understanding of religion and politics for all time. On the emergence of the Trinity, Christians had a dilemma as soon as they declared that Christ was God. If Christ is God, and God the Father is God, doesn't that make two gods? And when you throw the Holy Spirit into the mix, doesn't that make three gods? So aren't Christians polytheists? Christians wanted to insist, no, they're monotheists. Well, if they're monotheists, how can all three be God? So there are various ways of trying to explain this. And one of the most popular ways was called modelism. It's called modelism because it insists that God exists in three modes. Just as I myself at the same time am a son and a brother and a father, but there's only one of me, well, these theologians said that's what God is like. He's manifest in three persons, but there's only one of him. So he's, so he's at the same time, Father, Son, and Spirit. So he's in three modes of existence, so there's only one of him. On the difference between history and the past, what I try to teach my students is that history is not the past. There are a lot of things in the past that we cannot show historically. For example, you simply cannot show what my grandfather ate on March 23rd, 1956. I mean, he ate something for lunch that day, I'm sure. There's no way we have access to it. So it's in the past, but it's not part of history. History is what we can show to have happened in the past. One of the things that historians cannot show as having one of the things that historians cannot show as having happened in the past is anything that's miraculous. Because to believe that a miracle has happened, to believe that God has done something in our world, requires a person to believe in God. It requires a theological belief, but historians cannot require theological belief to do their work. Historians don't invoke miracle because it's beyond what historians can prove. Miracles may have happened in the past, but they're not a part of history. That applies to the resurrection of Jesus. Historians acting as historians, whether they're believers or non-believers, acting as historians, they simply cannot say Jesus was properly raised by God from the dead. But historians can look at other aspects of the resurrection tradition and see whether they bear up historically. On the empty tomb in the resurrection, was Jesus put in a tomb and three days later that, that tomb was found empty? Well, that's a historical question. And to answer it doesn't require any set of religious beliefs. You can simply look at the sources and draw some historical conclusions. 
Before I wrote this book and did the research on it, I was convinced, as many people are, that Jesus was, was given a decent burial, and on the third day, the women went to the tomb, found it empty, that started the belief in the resurrection. Apart from the fact that I don't think Jesus was given a decent burial, that he was probably thrown into a common grave of some kind. Apart from that, I was stuck in doing my research by the fact that the New Testament never indicates that people came to believe in the resurrection because of the empty tomb. This was a striking find because it's just commonly said that that's what led to the resurrection belief. But if you think about it for a second, it makes sense that the empty tomb wouldn't make anybody believe. If you put somebody in a tomb and three days later, you go back and the body's not in the tomb, your first thought isn't, oh, he's been exalted to heaven to make the son of God. Your first thought is somebody stole the body or somebody moved the body or hey, I'm at the wrong tomb. You don't think he's been exalted to heaven. And the New Testament is striking that in the Gospels, the empty tomb leads to confusion, but it doesn't lead to belief. What leads to belief is that some of the followers of Jesus have visions of him afterward. On why, he, on why he's interested in studying Jesus' transformation. If Jesus had not been declared God by his followers, his followers would have remained a sect, S-E-C-T, within Judaism, a small Jewish sect. And if that was the case, it would not have attracted a large number of Gentiles. If they hadn't attracted a large number of Gentiles, there wouldn't have been the steady rate, R-A-T-E, of conversion over the first three centuries to Christianity, it would have been a small Jewish sect. If Christianity had not been a sizable minority in the empire, the Roman Empire, Constantine, I'm sorry, if Christianity had not become a sizable minority in the empire, the Roman Emperor, Constantine, almost certainly would not have converted. But then there wouldn't have been the masses of conversions after Constantine that Christianity would not have become the state religion of Rome. If that hadn't happened, it would never have become the dominant religious, cultural, political, social, economic force that it became so that we wouldn't have even had the Middle Ages, the Renaissance, the Reformation, or modernity as we know it. It all hinges on this claim that early Christians had that Jesus was God. How do I feel about Bart's statement. One of the reasons why I left Christianity is because I I question did Jesus actually call himself God? And when I started reading the Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John for myself, I started to think maybe he did not. So. But Bart just said, confirmed what I always knew in terms of my doubts being true. Maybe he did call himself God, maybe he didn't. But the way that he spoke, he didn't put a lot of emphasis on him being God. 
So that's up in the air for me too, to be honest. Let's read some more. Jesus and the Hidden Contradictions of the Gospel, March 12, 2010, 12 p.m. East Coast Time, heard on Fresh Air. Bible scholar Bart Urban began his studies at the Moody Bible Institute in Chicago. Originally an evangelical Christian, Urban believed that the Bible is the inerrant word of God, later as a student at Princeton Theological Seminary. Ehrman started reading the Bible with a more historical approach, analyzing contradictions in the gospel. Ehrman, the author of Jesus Interrupted, revealing the hidden contradictions in the Bible and why we don't know about them, tells Terry Gross that he discourages readers from smashing the four gospels into one big gospel and thinking that they get the true understanding. When Matthew was writing, he didn't intend for somebody to, inter- to interpret his gospel in light of what some other author said, he had his own message, Ehrman says. Um, to illustrate the differences between the gospels, Ehrman offers opposing depictions of Jesus talking about himself. In the book of John, Jesus talks about himself and proclaims who he is saying, I am the bread of life. Whereas in Mark, Jesus teaches principally about the coming kingdom and hardly ever mentions himself directly. These differences offer clues into the perspectives of the authors and the eras, R-A-A-S, in which they wrote their respective Gospels, according to Urban. In Mark's Gospel, Jesus is not interested in teaching about himself, but when you read John's Gospel, that's virtually the only thing Jesus talks about is who he is and his identity, where he came from, where his identity is, what his identity is, where he came from, Urban says. This is completely unlike anything that you find in Mark or, or in Matthew and Luke. And historically, it creates all sorts of problems because it's historical Jesus actually went around saying that he was God. It's very hard to believe that Matthew, Mark, and Luke left out that part, you know, as if that part wasn't important. But in fact, they don't mention it. And so this view of the divinity of Jesus on his own lips is found only in our latest gospel, the Gospel of John. Ehrman teaches religious studies at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. His book, Jesus Interrupted, Revealing the Hidden Contradictions in the Bible, is now out in paperback. His interview was originally broadcast on March 4, 2009. Excerpt, Jesus Interrupted, Chapter 4. Students taking a college-level Bible course for the first time often find it surprising that we don't know who wrote most of the books of the New Testament. How could that be? Don't these books all have the author's names attached to them? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John's letters of Paul, 1st and 2nd Peter, and 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. How could the wrong names be attached to books of Scripture? Isn't this the word? of God? If someone wrote a book claiming to be Paul while knowing full well that he wasn't Paul, isn't that lying? Can scripture contain lies? When I arrived at seminary, I was fully armed and ready for the onslaught on my faith. 
by liberal biblical scholars who are going to insist on such crazy ideas. That's how I felt at the time. Having been trained in conservative circles, I knew that these views were standard fare at places like Princeton Theological Seminary. But what did they know? Bunch of liberals. Again, that's how he felt at the time. What came as a shock to me over time was just how little actual evidence there is for the traditional ascriptions of authorship that I had always taken for granted. How much real evidence there was that many of these ascriptions are wrong. It turned out the liberals actually had something to say and had evidence to back it up. They weren't simply involved in destructive, wishful thinking. There were some books, such as the Gospels, that had been written anonymously, only later to be ascribed to certain authors who probably did not write them, apostles and friends of the apostles. Other books were written by authors who flat out claimed to be someone they weren't. In this chapter, I'd like to explain what that evidence is. Who wrote the Gospels? Though it is evidently not the sort of thing pastors normally tell their congregations, for over a century, there has been a broad consensus among scholars that many of the books of the New Testament were not written by the people whose names are attached to them. So if that is the case, who did write them? Preliminary observations, the Gospels as eyewitness accounts. As we have just seen, the Gospels are filled with discrepancies, large and small. Why are there so many differences among the four Gospels? These books are called Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John because they were traditionally thought to have been written by Matthew, a disciple who was a tax collector. John, the beloved disciple, mentioned the fourth gospel. Mark, the secretary of the disciple Peter, and Luke, the traveling companion of Paul. These traditions can be traced back to about a century after the books were written. But if Matthew and John were both written by earthly disciples of Jesus, why are they so different? Why are they so very different on all sorts of levels? Why do they contain so many contradictions? Why do they have such fundamentally different views of who Jesus was? In Matthew, Jesus comes to being when in Matthew, Jesus comes to being when he is conceived or born of a virgin in John. Jesus is the incarnate word of God who was with God in the beginning and through whom the universe was made. Matthew, there's not a word about Jesus being God. And John is precisely who he is. In Matthew, Jesus teaches about the coming kingdom of God, almost never about himself, but never that he is divine. In John, Jesus teaches almost exclusively about himself, especially his divinity. In Matthew, Jesus refuses to perform miracles in order to prove his identity. In John, that is practically the only reason he does miracles. Did two of the earthly followers of Jesus really have such radically different understandings? Did the two of the earthly followers of Jesus really have such radically different understandings of who he was? It is possible. Two people who served in the administration of George W. Bush may well have radically different views about him, although I doubt anyone would call him divine. This raises an important methodological point that I want to stress before discussing the evidence for the authorship of the Gospels. Why did the tradition eventually arise that these books were written by apostles and companions of the apostles? In part, it was in order to assure readers that they were written by eyewitnesses and companions of eyewitnesses. An eyewitness could be trusted to relate the truth of what actually happened in Jesus' life. 
but the reality is that eyewitnesses cannot be trusted to give historically accurate accounts. They never could be trusted and can't be trusted still. If eyewitnesses always gave historically accurate accounts, we would have no need for law courts. If we needed to find out what actually happened when a crime was committed, we could just ask someone. Real-life legal cases require multiple eyewitnesses because eyewitnesses' testimonies differ. If two eyewitnesses in a court of law were to differ as much as Matthew and John, imagine how hard it would be to reach a judgment. A further reality is that all the Gospels were written anonymously and none of the writers claim to be an eyewitness. Names are attached to the titles of the Gospels the Gospel according to Matthew, but these titles are later additions to the Gospels. Provided by editors and scribes to inform readers who the editors thought were the authorities behind the different version. That the titles are not original to the Gospels themselves should be clear upon some simple reflection. Whoever wrote Matthew did not call it the Gospel according to Matthew. The persons who gave it that title are telling you who, in their opinion, wrote it. Authors never titled their books according to, in quotation. Moreover, Matthew's gospel was written completely in a third person about what day, in quotations, Jesus and the disciples were doing, never about we, in quotations, Jesus and the rest of us were doing. Even when this gospel bears the event of Matthew being called to become a disciple, it talks about him, in quotations, not about me, in quotations. Read the account for yourself, Matthew chapter 9, verse 9. There's not a thing in it that would make you suspect the author is talking about himself. With John, it is even more clear. At the end of the gospel, the author says of the beloved disciple, this is a disciple who is testifying to these things and has written them, and we know that his testimony is true. John chapter 21, verse 24. Note how the author differentiates between his source of information and the disciple who testifies himself. We know that his testimony is true. He slash we, this author is not the disciple. He claims to have gotten some of his information from the disciple. As for the other Gospels, Mark was said to be not a disciple, but a companion of Peter, and Luke was a companion of Paul, who also was not a disciple. Even if they had been disciples, it would not guarantee the objectivity or truthfulness of their stories. But in fact, none of the writers was an eyewitness, and none of them claims to be. Who then wrote these books? Wow. Wow. What I have doubted for years has just been confirmed. There are contradictions and errors and inaccuracies in the Bible. This is tough. And book writers in the Bible are not who they said they are. Whew. This is rough because I grew up being taught every conservative theological teaching that you can think of and my research has my credible research has debunked all of those conservative theological teachings I was taught. So, I'm not sure if Jesus is God. And 
there are contradictions there's an axis of the Bible and you have anonymous writers and scripture could contain lies and the wrong names are attached to scriptural books if these if, if, if these things are all true it can't be the word of God and I'm shocked to even say this because again my childhood and at the same time if you're an eyewitness shouldn't you write it as a person using language talking about yourself this is what I saw I was there when Jesus said you know what I mean I was there when Jesus did that's how it's supposed to be wow wow I just had to take a pause I'm in an episode on, on this because it's that power. Mm-hmm.